Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And on Wednesday night, we're studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through the passage. And tonight, we're going to uh, go through about halfway uh, through this chapter. Uh, we're going to go up to the 11th verse and deal with the subject that's dealt with here. And then next week, we'll come back and finish up the rest of it and deal with the, the subject uh, at the end of the chapter. And in this chapter, uh, Paul begins to deal with a very specific problem within the Corinthian church. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Corinthian church is a church with a lot of problems, a very carnal church and a lot of sin in the church. And in, in this chapter, we see that there's also a major issue going on in the church in regards to the fact that there are actually Christians within the church suing each other and uh, suing other Christians within the church, you know, and if you have Christians suing Christians in the church, that's a problem, that's a, a big issue there, and Paul deals with that, and uh, we're going to go through that and kind of learn about that tonight. I want to give you four statements that we can learn from this passage. I'd like you to write them down, uh, especially since it's Bible study night, right? We're studying the Word of God together. If you don't have a baby sitting on your lap or something like that, I'd like you to write these statements down. Just four things we can learn from this passage. We'll try to go through it as quickly as we can tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look there at verse number 1. The Bible says, Dare any of you go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Now, I want you to just notice that first phrase there. Dare any of you. And that's quite a phrase that Paul uses to begin this chapter. He's basically, what he's saying is, how dare you? Or, or he's saying, you know, you've got some nerve, you know, you, you, there, you have some gall uh, to, to do this. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law. He says, you're taking someone to, the, to law before the unjust. I want you to notice that word unjust and not before the saints. And I want you to notice that in this chapter, I've told you many times that the Bible defines itself. The Bible serves as its own dictionary. And we're going to see how God in this passage defines the unjust for us. But I want you to notice the first hint as to who the unjust are is the, is the opposite of what the unjust. He says, you go to law before the unjust. He's saying, you're going to law before the unjust. And he says, and not before the saints. So here's what we know. The unjust are the opposite of the saints. Now, we already saw in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 that the saints are anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. All right, so the saints are not special people that live a really good life and we put their pictures on a candle and we light the candle and pray to it. That's not what the saints are. The saints are anyone who calls upon the Lord. And it's any believer, any Christian, all of the Christians in the church at Corinth were saints. And he's saying, you go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Notice verse 2. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgment of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. And we're going to come back and cover verses 2 to, uh, through 5 here in a minute. But I want you to notice verse 6. He says, but brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. So I want you to notice, who are the unjust? Well, according to verse 1, we know that the unjust are the opposite of the saints. Who are the saints? That's any believer. Now in verse 6, 
We get further uh, proof of that because he says, Brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. So who are the unjust? The unbelievers. It's people who are not saved. Look at verse 7. Now, therefore, there is utterly, notice these words, a fault among you. What's the fault? What's the problem? Because you go to law one with another. So here's what we can learn from this passage so far. And if you'd like to write these statements down, point number one is this. What we can learn from this passage is that believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. The Bible actually forbids the idea of a Christian suing another Christian and taking them to law before the unjust or before the unsaved. He says, there is a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Look at verse 8. He says, nay, ye do wrong. He says, this is not right. This is not something that Christians should be doing. He says, you do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. He says, you're doing wrong to your brethren. You're doing wrong to your brother. You're defrauding your brother. Look at verse 9. Know ye not that, here's another word to identify this group of people, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So who are the unjust? They're unbelievers. They're unrighteous. They're opposite of the, of the saints. It's just talking about worldly people that are not saved. People that are not Christians. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So what's the first thing we can learn from this passage is that believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. And you would think that, you know, 1 Corinthians is not, you know, an obscure book of the Bible. I can understand if people don't know things or understand things out of the book of Habakkuk. You know, I, I understand if people don't know doctrine, you know, maybe out of the book of, I don't know, Hosea, Amos, Ezekiel. But 1 Corinthians is not really that complicated of a book. And in chapter 6, I mean, we're told very clearly, hey, believers should not sue each other. But what's interesting about this is that many Christians today don't understand this concept. In fact, it's funny because uh, uh, several weeks ago I was listening to something and they, they, they brought up this story, and I thought, oh, man, that'll go great with my 1 Corinthians chapter 6 sermon. But, you know, I heard about a restaurant that was owned by a Christian. This was a, a restaurant that was owned by a Christian, and he was big about showing everybody and telling everybody that he was a Christian. I think he donated money or whatever. And the restaurant was called Love Your Neighbor. Well, in the same city, there was a charity that was called Love Thy Neighbor. And the restaurant owned by the so-called Christian uh, that was called Love Your Neighbor sued the charity called Love Thy Neighbor because they felt their name was too close to each other and they didn't want people to get confused between the charity and the restaurant. So Love Thy Neighbor took Love Your Neighbor or Love Your Neighbor took Love Thy Neighbor to court and, and sued them and spent thousands of dollars, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, you're, neither, neither one of you is loving your neighbor right now. You know, the Bible says that we're not supposed to sue each other. You know, it's interesting because when we first came to Sacramento and started uh, Verity Baptist Church, there was a big liberal church in the city called Mars Hill. And, you know, eventually, you know, after a few years of being here, uh, it, it, it became this thing where there's a big liberal church in Washington that was called Mars Hill. I, I don't know if it's still around, but at the time. And Mars Hill in Washington sued Mars Hill in Sacramento for the copyright of their name. So Mars Hill in Sacramento lost, 
and had to change his, his name to real life. You know, but it's like these churches are suing each other for the name, love thy neighbor, suing love your neighbor. It's just ridiculous when the Bible clearly teaches that believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. So please understand this. If you ever get in a fight with a Christian about money, about business, don't sue them. God says you shouldn't do it. Believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. That's the first thing we see in this passage. Let me give you the second thing. The second thing is this. Not only should believers not take each other to law before the unsaved, believers should be able to settle their own matters and their own disputes within the church. Believers should be able to settle their own matters and their own disputes within the church. Look at verse 1. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another. Obviously, there was two people in this church that had some sort of a dispute, a disagreement. There was something that, that didn't go well, some sort of business transaction that didn't go right. And he says, dare any of you having a matter against another, you know. And imagine if you're these people. And it's like, hey, we got a letter from our missionary Paul. We're going to have a missionary letter tonight. We're going to read Paul's letter, and he's, you know, just rebuking these individuals. Imagine how, uh, how they must have felt. But he says, there any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Look, look down at verse 4. If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, notice what he says. He says, he says, look, if you're having a matter, if you're having a problem that needs to be resolved, he says, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life. He said, there are things pertaining to this life that you need judgment. He says, here's what you should do. Set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. He says, I speak to your shame. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, it would be better for you to take the Christian that's least esteemed in the church. I mean, the newest Christian, the most worldly Christian, the most doesn't know the Bible Christian. It'd be better for you to take that person and let them judge over this matter than for you to go to some court with some unbeliever, with some unsaved person. He says, I speak to your shame. Notice verse 5. I speak to your shame. Is it so? He says, is it so? And understand the context of, of the book of Corinthians. Because as we've been coming through the book of Corinthians, you notice that a theme is, you know, the Corinthians really uh, glorified the idea of wisdom, man's wisdom. They're really impressed with wisdom. And Paul's trying to teach them, hey, you know, it's not about uh, man's wisdom, it's about God's wisdom. And God's wisdom is what we need. And here he's kind of taking a jab at them. And he says, is it so that there is not a wise man among you? Now he says, look, is, is there not anybody among you that's wise? And notice the emphasis is among you. Among who? Among the church at Corinth. No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. See, the Bible teaches that not only believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved, but the Bible teaches that believers should, not, should be able to settle their own matters within a church. The local church should be able to to settle disputes within believers. There should be leadership and wise men in the church that can sit there and judge between these disputes. Now you say, well, how does that happen? How does that work? Well, go to Matthew chapter number 18. Keep your place in 1 Corinthians 6. Obviously, we're coming back to it. Go to Matthew 18. Let me show you how, how this is supposed to work. Now, here's the thing. Most churches don't do this. And, um, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not... We've never really had to do this in regards, you know, uh, to settling, 
like some sort of a financial dispute at our church. I hope we never have to. But if we had to, if, if that came about, here's how we would do it because this is how God says we should do it. Matthew chapter 18. Look at verse number 15. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. First book in the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Notice what the Bible says. Moreover, this is Jesus speaking, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, he says, if you've got an issue, there's a, fa- there's a matter against each other, if your brother shall trespass against thee, Jesus gives three steps in regards to how to deal with it. Here's step one. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now notice, and I always want to point this out. He doesn't say, go tell everybody in the church. He doesn't say, because here's what most people do. They don't go to the person that did the trespass, and they go to everyone except that person. You know, they tell everybody and gossip to everybody, you'll never believe what sister so-and-so did. You'll never believe what brother so-and-so. And they'll go to everybody except the person they should go to. And Jesus said, no, go to that person and nobody else. He says, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. That means no Facebook. That means no social media. That means you go to your brother, and if there's an issue, and you, and here's what's funny is people will get all mad and upset. They'll start gossiping and talking about people, and then you go to them, and you're like, hey, why don't you just go to that individual? And they're like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I don't want to have to confront them. Look, if it's not a big enough deal to confront them, then shut your mouth. If it's not a big enough deal for you to go and confront them, then it shouldn't be a big enough deal for you and go to God. Nothing should be a big enough deal for you to go and gossip about them. Jesus said, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. You know, he says, look, if you go to him and you're like, hey, remember when you asked me to borrow 20 bucks three weeks ago? You said you'd pay me back, you know, the next day and you never did. You say, well, I would never confront somebody over 20 bucks. Then, then, then let it go. Do you understand? Now you're like, remember when I let you borrow 1,000 bucks? Now I don't know why anybody's letting anybody else borrow 1,000 bucks in church. You know, that's probably not a good idea. But, you know, if it's a big enough deal, go to them. And if they shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's good. That's the, re- reserva- the, the result we want. Look at verse 16. But if he will not hear thee. So you go to them and, and you say, hey, look, I've got a problem. I've got an issue here. You know, and look, this is what Jesus said is supposed to be done. There's nothing wrong with you going to someone and saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, I have an issue. There, you know, I, I feel like there's a problem I'd like to deal with. There's absolutely nothing wrong with anybody doing that. There, what, there's something wrong with you going around and gossiping and talking to everybody about it except the person with the issue. You know, but if you have an issue with someone, go to them. And if you go to them and they don't receive it well, you go to them and they don't want to hear you, Then here's step two, verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, here's step two, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And look, there's nothing in the world wrong with this. In fact, as a pastor, and my wife as a pastor's wife, we often are the witnesses when this has to be done, where, you know, we go and sit with two individuals or sit with three individuals or whatever it might be, and talk to three, through, through a situation. You say, well, why do you do that? Because that's what the Bible says to do. Nothing wrong with that. And, and, and look, if, if someone comes to you and wants to do don't get offended and mad. I can't believe you, you did that. Look, obviously it's a big enough deal. 
for them, it's bothering them, it's hurting them, whatever it might be, you know, realize that this is something that God has ordained to be able to be done within a church. But if he will not hear thee, step two, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, let me go ahead and say this. This is something that God has ordained within church that should be used when needed. But let, let me go ahead and say this, because there are some people that, you know, every other week they want to be pulling out the Matthew 18. And let me just tell you something. This can get real old real fast, okay? If you're just one of these people, you, and, and you start learning, you know, every church has one of them or two or three. You know, the highly sensitive people, they're always offended about something. There's always something I'm not doing that I should be doing, or I'm, you know, am doing that I shouldn't be doing, or I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it like their other pastor did it or whatever. There's always something we're not doing right. And look, I'll let people come to me like, Pastor, you offended me. You started the watch night service at 7, and we never changed the time at our old church or whatever. I'll let you do this to me every once in a while, but you want to do this with me every other week. Look, I'm busy, all right? You know, just this stuff can get real old, and if it gets petty. This is what we use for major things, you know, big problems. that You need to resolve this. If you're going to be part of this church, if you're going to uh, be part of this, of this community, it needs to be fixed. So don't turn this into some petty, you know, leave your drama at home is what I'm trying to say. If it's not a big deal, let it go, okay? And we're going to actually see that in the passage. But step two is you take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established, verse 17, and if you shall neglect to hear them, so, you know, you go with your witnesses, they're like, no, they don't want to hear it, they don't want to deal with it, then here's step three, tell it unto the church. Now, what's the church? The church is the congregation. You tell it to the congregation, and this isn't talking about you go around and gossip to everybody, this is at a church gathering, we bring up this issue to discuss, and here's what you need to understand, and let me just go ahead and explain this to you. Before you get to step three, you need to involve the pastor. Okay, you need to involve me. And here's what I mean. You don't get to raise your hand on a Sunday morning and say, uh, I have a dispute I need to bring up. No, no, no. You, you, deal, you talk to me about that first, and we deal with that on my terms, you know, you know on, on, this, on an evening service when I choose and all of that. So it's not this free-for-all. I just want to explain that to you. And if you don't like that, then you don't like how this church is run and go somewhere else, all right? You know, because I run this church. Um, the God, God said that I'm to be the overseer, so I will oversee all of those events. Tell it unto the church. I do run this church like a dictator, all right? You say, why? Because the Bible says to, that's why. He says, tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee, notice what he says, as a heathen man and as a publican. What does that mean? That means you treat him like an unbeliever. That means you, you throw him out. So here's the thing. When you go down this road, here are the options. Either someone gets right or someone gets out, you know, and, and the church will decide that um, if it's a big enough deal to deal with or whatever. But that's how the Bible says that these things should be dealt with. The local church should be able to settle their own disputes uh, within the church. Now, let me go ahead and, and, and make a couple of statements and, and um, just for you to understand the context. Go to Acts 22. You're there in Matthew, so you're going to go Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The Bible does forbid the suing of other believers, a believer suing another believer. If there's a dispute where you want to say, I'll see you in court, buddy, okay, what you should be doing is allowing the church to deal with that and, you know, going through the Matthew 18, dealing with it or whatever it might be. 
That's not to say that there may be a time when a believer needs to defend themselves using the law against the world, okay? So the Bible doesn't teach, the Bible doesn't forbid believers suing anybody. Now, look, I don't think that we should be on a hair trigger to sue people, you know. I remember, I, I, we used to know a lady who, like, every job she worked at, she would sue the job. You know, and it's like she had like seven open lawsuits. And it's like, who's, and it's like every job she worked at, they all did something that she had to, you know, that's ridiculous. And as a Christian, you know, you ought not live your life. But there are times when, you know, things are wrong and, and we should use the law. So I want you to say, I'm not saying that the Bible forbids Christians ever using the law, you know, against the world. But the Bible does forbid a Christian suing another Christian. Or a church suing another church or something ridiculous like that. Love thy neighbor suing love your neighbor, all right? Acts 22, look at verse number 24. Let me show you this in the Bible. This is Paul. Now, who wrote 1 Corinthians? It was Paul. Paul's the one who's telling us, hey, don't sue other believers. But in Acts 22 and verse 24, I want you to notice what Paul did in regards to defending himself using his rights and the law. Acts 22, verse 24. The chief captain commanded him, the him there is Paul, to be brought into the castle. So he's been arrested and bade that he, the chief captain, bade that he, Paul, should be examined. So they're going to examine him. They're going to, you know, uh, interrogate him. But notice how they're doing it by scourging, all right? So they're going to basically beat him up till he tells them what they want to hear, that he might know whereof they cried so against him because the Jews are, are bringing all sorts of accusations against him. Verse 25, and as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, notice what he says. He says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Because see, Paul was a Roman citizen. And the Bible says that Paul was a Jew, but here's the thing. He was, he was obviously half Jewish, half Roman. And, you know, God did that. And I believe God used Paul because of the fact that he had Roman citizenship. That actually gave him the liberty to travel freely through the Roman Empire, and which is one of the reasons he was able to be a missionary and go and, and plant many churches. But here, he's about to get beat, and he pulls the, the I'm a Roman citizen card. He says, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman? Because here's the thing, they could scourge a Jew. They could scourge a foreigner. But he says, hey, is it lawful for you uh, uh, to scourge a man that is a, a Roman and uncondemned? Notice verse 26. When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. So that got their attention. And I said, Hey, be careful what you're doing. This guy's a Roman. Verse 27. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. So notice, the chief captain is telling him, I'm a, I'm a free citizen also. And he says, with a great sum obtained I this freedom. And then I love Paul's response. Paul says, notice the last part of verse 28, and Paul said, but I was free born. So notice he was born a Roman citizen. So the guy says, hey, I bought my citizenship. I obtained my citizenship. And Paul says, I was born free. And there is an, an, a picture here of salvation where you have, you know, the world and, and, and unbelieving so-called Christians trying to obtain their salvation. And you know, the way that you get saved is you're born free. You're born again, and it's a free gift. It's not something that you earn or you pay for. Look at verse 29. Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him. And the chief captain also was afraid 
after he knew that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. So notice he pulls the I'm a Roman citizen card and they're like, hey, let him go. So we see here that Paul would defend himself using the law when the world was trying to do him wrong. Go to Acts 25, Acts chapter 25 and verse 9. So there's nothing wrong with a believer defending themselves using the law against the world. But the Bible does forbid a Christian suing another Christian or a believer suing another believer. Acts 25, let me give you another example of this. Acts 25 and verse 9, Acts 25, 9, notice what the Bible says, but Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, so Paul again has been arrested. The Bible says, wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judge of these things before me? So the Jews come and they say, we want to accuse him. He broke our law. And Festus, he's trying to, you know, appease the Jews. He's trying to do the Jews a pleasure. And he's asking Paul, wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judge? Will you be judged in Jerusalem under their court system, under their system? Verse 10, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat. Who's Caesar? The Roman emperor. Notice what he says. Where I ought to be judged. Now, why does he say that? Because he's a Roman citizen. He says, to the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. He's saying, look, if I did something wrong, then put me to death. But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. And then notice what he says. He's pulling the Roman citizen card. He says, I appeal unto Caesar. Because here's what he knew. If he went back to Jerusalem, they were going to kill him. And in fact, they'd made a pact and a bunch of Jews had gone together and said, we're not going to eat till we kill Paul and all this and that. So he's pulling his rights and his citizenship. He's saying, I appeal unto Caesar, verse 12. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, has thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar shalt thou go. Because it was the right of Roman citizens to say, no, you know what? I want to be judged by Caesar. So again, I'm just using this as an illustration to show you there's nothing wrong with a believer using the rights of the culture or society they live in to try to defend against the world doing them wrong. So when we go to 1 Corinthians 6, we're not saying you're not allowed to sue anybody for any reason or go to law against anyone for any reason. The Bible specifically forbids a Christian going to law against another Christian or a believer going to law against another believer. But we see examples of Paul who wrote that saying, or we see examples of him using the law to defend himself against a, uh, uh, you know, the Jews and people that are trying to do him wrong. Go to Romans 13. You're there in Acts, so just one book over to Romans. Let me give you another disclaimer or another idea in regards to this whole lawsuit thing. This, this whole thing about not suing a believer and dealing with settling issues within the church, here's what you need to understand. This only applies for civil disputes, what we would call today civil disputes. This does not apply to criminal activity. This applies to civil disputes, not criminal activity. So in 1 Corinthians 6, we see that Paul's saying, one of you is suing the other one, and he says, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. How dare you? He says, this is not something that Christians should be doing. But I want you to understand that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, also wrote Romans chapter number 13. And notice what he says in Romans 13 and verse 1. Romans 13, 1. 
He says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Notice verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. He's talking about the, the government. God ordained government. And look, we, I understand that government, especially our country, has gone outside of the realm of what God has ordained and allowed. But he said that, look, God established government. We're not anti-government you know, uh, or anti-not uh, you know, wanting to have any sort of structure. He says, for he is the minister of God for thee to good. But if thou will do that which is evil, be afraid. Now, notice what he says in verse 4. He says, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And here's what I want you to understand. The Bible doesn't teach that government is supposed to establish a public school education system and the government's supposed to be a welfare program and the government's supposed to do this and the government's supposed to do that. But the Bible does say that government is supposed to bear the sword and execute wrath. They're supposed to punish criminals and do wrong. And we may not necessarily agree how they do it. You know, I think a rapist should be put to death like the Bible says. And they put them in a prison or whatever. But here's the point. That's the culture we live in. That's the society we live in. And it's not our place to try to go and fix the government. You know, obviously, the government's messed up. We understand that. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. When it comes to criminal activity, you know, you kill somebody, we're not helping you bury the body, okay? I'm sorry. We're turning you in. You know, I had guys in this church, you know, I'm like, hey, look, you guys want to go start up some militia? I'm not with you, and we're going to turn you in. They're like, I can't believe you were saying That's what the Bible says. We're not so, look, we're, we're not going to cover things up. We're not the Catholic church. You're molesting your children. We're going to turn you in. Do you understand that? You're, you're selling drugs. We, we're not covering that up for you, okay? When we're talking about settling issues within the church, we're talking about civil disputes. Someone, you know, backed into your car. You know, Brother Stuckey backed into Brother Oliver's car. Brother Stuckey drove off hoping nobody would know. Brother Oliver saw it on the camera. Whatever it is, you know, there's an issue there. We're going to deal with it within the church. We're not talking about rape incest, murder. Look, if those things, uh, you know, uh, children being abused, if those things are brought to my attention, we're calling the cops because that's what the Bible says. Because he, in that case, he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou will do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. So we're not talking about, you know, we're going to cover things up and hide things. All right? We're not talking about criminal law, rape, murder, things like that. We're talking about, you know, someone you're doing business with a church member and you feel like they ripped you off. You feel like they didn't do what they're supposed to do. That's the issues we're dealing with. The Bible clearly teaches that in the Bible. We've never taught at this church that we're supposed to raise some militia and go fight the government. If you believe that, you're an idiot and you don't know what the Bible says. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and do me a favor and leave and never come back because I don't want to be associated with that. So number one, we see in this passage 
that believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. Number two, believers should be able to settle their own matters within the church, within the parameters set forth in the Bible, which is civil disputes, not criminal disputes. And it doesn't mean that believers can't ever use the law to protect themselves. We're talking about suing a believer based on a civil matter, you know, something like that. Number three, believers are able or capable to judge within the matters of the church because they will one day judge the world. That's what Paul says. Look at verse 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Do you not know that the saints, that's believers, that's what he says, shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? This is what he's saying. Believers are going to one day judge the world. We're going to rule and reign with Christ during the millennial reign. And he says, if we will one day judge the world, are we unworthy? Are we not? He's talking about, are we, are we, do we not have the ability to judge the smallest matters? And then he says this, which I think is an interesting verse, verse 3. He says, know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, I don't know how all that's going to work as far as us judging angels, but he says, hey, we're going to judge angels. And there's another passage in the Bible. I'm sure there's more, but one that I recently saw in Scripture is in Hebrews chapter 2. In fact, do you mind going there? I want, I want to show you this verse. Hebrews chapter 2. If you go, start at the end of the New Testament at the book of Revelation and head back, you go past Jude, past 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5. Notice what he says. Hebrews 2, 5. He says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection. So he says, The angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come. Now, what does it mean to be put in subjection? It means to be put under the authority of. So here he says, The angels will not be running the world to come. What's the world to come? The future kingdom. The millennial reign of Christ. He, whereof we speak. He says, the angels he hath not put in subjection. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, the angels he's put under our authority, we will judge angels. And I don't know how that's all going to work. I don't know how that all is all going to play out. But the Bible says that we're going to judge the world, that we're going to judge during the millennial reign, and we're going to judge angels. And I think that's very interesting. And that's why we're capable of being able to deal with these matters, you know, that pertain to life, because one day we will judge the world and, and, and angels. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So number one, believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. Number two, believers should be able to settle their own disputes within church. And number three, believers should be able to judge, have the ability to judge, are capable to judge because they will one day judge the world. Here's point number four. Believers, believers who cannot settle their differences should opt to take the wrong. Believers who cannot settle their differences should opt to take the wrong. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 7. He says, now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. And then he says this. Now, I like how Paul says this, because he, he brings up this, this question, and he says, why has nobody considered this? Why is this not an option? He says, why do ye not rather Take wrong. Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He's, he's, saying, he's saying, 
if you can't settle it within the church, you know, there two people come up and they're like, he said that he would do this work for this amount of money and he didn't do it or she didn't do it or whatever. They stole from me or they, whatever it is. And, and you bring it before the church and, and we can't figure it out. There's no way to tell who's lying or whatever. And we just kind of say, well, you know, there's no proof. There's no contract. There's no evidence, nothing, you know, uh, there's nothing for us to be able to do. And, and, and you say, well, what, what do I do now? He said, it would be better for you to just take wrong. He said, it would be better for you to suffer yourself. The word suffer means allow yourself to be defrauded, to be stolen from, than for you to go and take your brother to court. That's what he says. So he said, look, if you can't settle it within the church, he said, it's better for you to opt to take wrong. It's better for you to opt to be defrauded. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. While you turn there, let me read for you Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, Philippians 2, 3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And that's a verse I often quote from this pulpit. And the reason is because we need this in Christianity today. Just Christians to esteem other better than themselves. And it's better for you to just take wrong. It's better for you to just suffer yourselves to be defrauded. Matthew 5, look at verse number 38. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38. Matthew 5, 38. And let me say this. Matthew 5, 38 is the reason that I believe Christians should not be on a hair trigger to sue everyone. You say, well, it's, the Bible doesn't forbid me suing unbelievers, so I'm going to sue every job I've ever been a part of. You know, I, I don't know that that's really the attitude that God wants us to take, even though just because something is not forbidden doesn't mean you have to do it all the time or at every opportunity. Matthew 5, 38, notice what Jesus said. He says, have ye heard? That it hath been said. He says, I'm sorry, ye have heard that it hath been said. Notice what he says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you. So, again, and if you understand the context, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is an Old Testament law that was for criminal law. All right? So, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is not you and me. You know, you did me wrong, so I'm going to do you wrong. You backed into my car when I wasn't looking, so I'm going to back into your car when you're not looking. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is I kill someone, my life gets taken. I hurt someone, then I'm hurt. And that, that's Old Testament law. There's nothing wrong with that. The context that Jesus is speaking about is should we be taking that upon ourselves to do that? Verse 39, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. He says, look, if somebody smacks you on your right cheek, turn your other cheek. Instead of fighting back, he's saying, allow them to do it again. Say, well, what is that? What is Jesus teaching? Here's what he's teaching. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Look at verse 40. And if any man, does this sound like part of the context, will sue thee at the law? If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. So does it sound like Jesus is teaching that you need to just be guarded and ready to fight. Look, he says, if somebody sues you for your coat, give them your cloak also. And he goes on to say, somebody makes you go with them uh, a mile, go with them twain. He's saying, look, believers who cannot settle their differences should opt, should opt to take the wrong. They should opt to suffer themselves to be defrauded. They should opt to esteem other better than themselves. They should opt to turn the other cheek. And this is what I often tell people when they ask me about doing business within church. 
People ask me, you know, I wanted to hire someone but, uh, uh, within church, Pastor, what do you think about that? Or I was going to do business within church. This is what I always tell everybody when they ask me. I say, if you cannot suffer yourself to be defrauded, you know, and I tell them, I, hopefully it all turns out great. Hopefully it's, it's, there's no problem. Hopefully, you know, uh, everything's, but if you're going to go into business with another person in our church and, and it, if everything goes wrong, if everything goes sour, if you can't allow yourself to be defrauded, if you can't take the wrong, then I would prefer you not do business with anybody in church. And that's the advice I want to give all of you. I was thinking about hiring so-and-so to do. If you can't, hopefully it all turns out great and there's no problems and praise the Lord. And people do business within church all the time and there are no problems. I do business with people in our church and there's no problems. But here's what I tell you. If you can't, if you say, if it all goes sour, if it all goes wrong, I could not let it go, then please just go find an unbeliever that you can hire and sue that guy. <laughs> because, you know, if you can't allow yourself to be defrauded, if you can't suffer yourself to be defrauded, if you can't take wrong, then it's best to just not go down that road. Because Paul, at the end of the day, says, look, there's all these steps to settling things within church. Jesus gave us these three steps in Matthew 18. But if, it, if none of it works, he said, it'd be better for you to suffer yourself to be defrauded. It'd be better for you to take the wrong to allow yourself to be stolen from than to take your brother to court. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So what do we learn in this passage? Well, number one, believers should not take each other to law before the unsaved. Number two, believers should be able to settle their own matters within the church. Number three, believers are able to judge or capable to judge because they will one day judge the world. And alongside with that, they'll judge angels. Number four, believers who cannot settle their differences should opt to take wrong. They should suffer themselves to be Defrauded. Now, as we finish up this passage, because I told you we're going to get to verse 11, that's where the context changes. In verse 12, we begin talking about something else. We'll deal with that this, next week. I want to deal with these verses 8 and specifically 9, 10, and 11, just as we close for tonight. Verse 8 says, Nay, you do wrong and defraud in that your brethren. Notice verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous, now who are the unrighteous? They're the unjust, they're the unbelievers, they're unsaved people. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're not going to go to heaven. He said, be not deceived. He says, neither fornicators. So he just said the unrighteous are not going to go to heaven. And then he says, neither fornicator, nor idolater, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what is this passage teaching? Here's what it's not teaching. It's not teaching that, you know, if you're a drunkard, you can't be saved, okay? Obviously, we understand that sin, the idea is that sin will take you to hell. Sin cannot be allowed into heaven. How do we get to go to heaven? Because we've been redeemed through Jesus Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. And in fact, we were made a new creature. We are made a new man that does not sin. Our new man does not sin. And this old flesh is not going to make it to heaven. This old flesh will die. And one day at the resurrection, this mortal will put on immortality. And this corrupt will put on incorruption. I'll not only have a new spiritual man, but I'll, I'll have a new body, a new man that does not sin. So none of those sins are going to make it into heaven. But here's what I want you to say. And there's controversy with this passage. Because in verse 9, he says, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And the modern Bible versions change that phrase to homosexuals or sodomites. And because of that, 
people will look at that and say, nor abusers themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkard, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, and such were some of you. So Paul says, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he says, you, he said, such were some of you. He said, now you're saved, you're washed, sanctified, and justified. But people will go to this and they'll say, see, this proves that sodomites can be saved. And I want to just kind of speak to that for a second and give you some thoughts in regards to that. First of all, let me just define some words for you. When it says neither there, it means not one nor the other. It's that, the word neither means not either. So when he says neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers, he's not speaking about different people. He's describing the same group of people. What group of people? He's describing the unrighteous. He's describing the unbelievers. He's describing the unjust. Remember a few weeks ago I preached a sermon about how to study the Bible? What was rule number one? You must study the Bible within its context. All right? So what is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11? Well, here's the context. We've been walking through it verse by verse tonight. The context is, he says, hey, as a believer, don't go to law before unbelievers. And he's telling them believers should be able to settle their own disputes within church. He says believers have the ability and the, and the capability of judging because they will one day judge uh, in the world to come. He says believers should be able to settle these things. He says don't go to unbelievers. Don't go to the world, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And he's saying these are the unrighteous, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusing themselves of mankind. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. Here's what he's saying. When you take your brother to law and you go stand before a judge that is not saying these are the type of people that you are suing your brother before. You're suing them before idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and fornicators and covetous and drunkards and revilers and extortioners. He's saying, the reason you don't want to go and sue your brother before an unbeliever, because these are the types of people that you're going to stand before. That's the context. Now, once you notice the word such there, in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. The word such means of the type previously mentioned. That's what the word such means. So he says, right, uh, uh, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, these are the type of people that are unrighteous, the fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. And then he says the word such, and the word such means this, this type of people. So when he says such, he's just saying these are the type of people that you're going to go and be judged before. The word such, for those of you that are interested, is also translated, the same word that's translated such, is translated in other parts of our King James Bible, which is perfect, preserved, without error, by the King James translators, which I believe did the job that God wanted them to do, is translated as these things. So again, just meaning these things, these types of things, are the types of things that you're going to find when you go and take your brother to court. But people just love this because, you know, you have all these, I just preached a sermon about, you know, reprobates and the psychopath reprobates. 
And I proved the doctrine of reprobates from Romans chapter number 1, from 1 Timothy chapter number 3, from 2 Timothy, from Jude, from 1 Peter. I mean, it's clearly taught throughout the entire Bible. And then people will take this passage and say, forget all of that. We found the verse that kind of maybe sounds like a sodomite might get saved. Now listen to me. When we study the Bible, is that how we should study the Bible? Where we just throw away clear passages in the Bible and go with the obscure one that we're not really sure, but we think it might fit what the agenda we want? Here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know 1 Corinthians chapter nine, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 are not clear passages. I know that fundamental Christians, liberal Christians, Christians that aren't even Christians argue about what abusers of themselves as mankind means. Here's what I know. Paul obviously knew the word sodomite, and he didn't choose to use that word. He used a word there that is only used one other time in our King James Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 10, when he says, defile themselves with mankind. So he's, you know, he's, he chose not to use the word sodomite. So you know, that should speak to us something. But here's what I know. That's not a clear passage. Romans chapter 1. In fact, let's just go there. Romans chapter 1, just real quickly. We're almost done. Just one book past 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 1, look at verse number 21. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 21. Romans 1, 21, notice what the Bible says. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women... Now, just answer this question for me. How clear is this passage right now? For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise, meaning in the same way that the women changed their natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was me. I mean, is there anything vague about that? Is there anything just I'm not really sure what he's talking about? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. The word reprobate is clearly taught through Scripture, means rejected. That is a clear passage. And here's all I'm trying to say. I'm not going to throw away a clear passage because of a passage that has a word that is used twice in the New Testament, and nobody even knows what the word means. Even liberal Christians argue about what abusers of themselves with mankind. Now, with that said, let me give you the options. If you're a King James Bible-believing Christian that does not have an agenda. You're not just some queer lover that's trying to find something you can twist into. There, let's let him in. All right, here's your options. Option number one, and, and the options are based on this. Romans 1 is super clear. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, not that clear. Not something that is just 
everybody can look at it and say, here's exactly what it means. There's many interpretations as to what abusers of themselves with mankind could be. So here's your options. Number one, the phrase abusers of themselves with mankind is not a reference to sodomites, which is very likely because Paul, we saw in Romans 1, has no problem describing sodomites and making it clear what he's talking about. So either abusers of themselves of mankind is not a reference to sodomites, or it is a reference to sodomites. I don't have an issue with that. I'm not trying to put my agenda onto the Bible. If that means sodomites, which there's some arguments to why it may mean that, but if it means that, then here's what Jesus is saying. Here's option number two. The phrase, such were some of you, does not mean all of you were all of these things, and it does not mean that some of you were all of these things. It simply means that some of you were some of these things, and it's obviously not an application to sodomites. Because just saying, you know, such were some of you means all of you were all of these things, that's ridiculous. And saying, well, some of you were all of these things, you're kind of stretching that. You say, well, Pastor Jimenez, you know, I'm not going to get up here and lie to you. I don't know what abuses of themselves with mankind means. If I, if I can figure, look, when I figure it out, there'll be a Sunday morning sermon called Abusers of Themselves with Mankind. But I don't know what it means. I mean, there's many arguments to say it's sodomites and many arguments to say it's not. But here's what I know. It's not teaching that these people can get saved because that would go against Romans chapter 1, which is very clear. So when we study the Bible, we, need, we don't get hung up on the things we don't understand and throw away the things we clearly understand. If it's, it, it either just means that abusers of themselves with mankind is not sodomites, which I've, you know, I have friends that have said that abusers of themselves mankind, that it makes more sense to say that it's, it's basically the female equivalent of a whoremonger, you know, which there's arguments for that. I mean, in 1 Timothy 1.10, it says for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, it's in that list. You know, I, I don't know. I'm just telling you, here's what I know. Romans 1 is super clear. The rest of the passages in the Bible are super clear. We're not going to throw away the rest of the Bible because there's one verse that not everybody, that even liberal Christians can't agree on. So, you know, your options are abuser of themselves mankind is not a reference to sodomites. Or if it is a reference to sodomites, then such were some of you does not mean all of you were all of this, does not mean that some of you were all of this. It simply means that some of you were some of these. Because obviously there's people in the church of Corinth that were covetous, that were thieves, that were drunkards. And if it's sodomites, then that's just not. Then Paul just maybe understood that obviously everyone's good. You know, he's thinking, you've all read my Romans letter. <laughs> so you guys are all going to understand that, you know, if that's what he meant. But I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know what the answer to that question is. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, thank you for giving us principles. Even when we come to passages of Scripture where we're not 100% on what it means. And good men even disagree on what it could mean. And uh, people that I respect, Lord... Thank you for giving us rules for interpretation where we can, with authority, say, but we're not going to throw away a clear passage for a passage that is not clear and that many people disagree on. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to always keep those rules in mind as we study the Bible and allow them to guide us as we travel uh, through the Word of God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.